0: Hello, and welcome to Storytelling for Business, the podcast that helps you build meaningful relationships with your customers. How? By telling them stories they want to hear. I'm Katie Flammen. I'm a voiceover artist. I record scripts for businesses all the time. And as you've probably guessed by now, I'm fascinated by this topic. And today, we're looking at how you can use social media storytelling to connect with clients and lasso leads. If you're serious about this storytelling for business,
1: business, being visible on social media is a no-brainer. But you need to pick your platform. If you're one of the cool kids, not me, it's TikTok. If you're all about the visuals, it's Insta. If you're in the trades, could be Facebook. If you're into conspiracy theories, then obviously it's X or Twitter or X twitter But LinkedIn? For a lot of people, LinkedIn is the stuffy one, the scary one. Today's guest, Leah Turner, is a LinkedIn expert, and she's neither of those things. Well, she can be a bit fierce, but only if you're fake, sleazy, or unprofessional. In just four years, Leah Turner has grown a massive network of more than 150,000 people by simply posting on LinkedIn. She shares a huge amount of free, helpful tips, as well as many personal stories. And her LinkedIn training business is super successful as a result. She's created a business community, of which I'm a member. She's a sought-after speaker and a single mum. Leah Turner, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. That was quite an intro.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got quite a lot going on, haven't you? But um, I've I've got two questions, but I think I'm going to start with, why LinkedIn out of all of those other platforms?
2: Originally, because I had a business that focused on working for building construction professionals, lawyers, medical professionals, building surveyors. So that's where they were. And I had no marketing budget. And that they were my clients for my original business when I first started using LinkedIn. So I thought, well, I, I've i never really used it. I've had a profile since like 2012, but I never like ever... <laughs> Yeah, I, I never logged in. I never looked at it. it. It I didn't even have the app on my phone because it wasn't something I ever considered. And it wasn't until I got one of those emails that said, oh, three people have looked at your profile or something. And I was like, oh, I haven't really thought about this. Maybe I'll have a quick look at it. And um, then I did and went, good God, this is boring. Like, this is not for me. But I didn't really have much choice. It was kind of one of those, like, you've you need to, you've got to, you want to get, I I wasn't struggling for clients. I had a lot of clients. They were like word of mouth clients. That I'd had for, I ran the business for nine years. So I didn't have a struggle, but I wanted to grow the business. I was sick of like being poor and not making, barely making ends meet at the end of the month. So I wanted to grow the plat. I wanted to grow. I wanted to take on some associates to help me and I wanted to work less hours. So LinkedIn was kind of like, those people weren't hanging out on Facebook and they weren't hanging out on Instagram and I thought well if I can get noticed by them on LinkedIn which I did like that was that went very very well to start with Uh, at at the very beginning it didn't because I was being like stuffy and awkward and what was your first post
1: can you remember
2: Yeah, you know it's funny because I took a photo of it to do as a post tomorrow. Someone sent it to me in a frame. It says, um, "With 13 years' experience working in the construction industry and seven years' experience in the medical sector, as well as a myriad of other uh, areas of experience gained over my years as a transcriber, I am now seeking to diversify and expand my client base." (laughs) It goes on like that, and it had um, eight eight sympathy likes and two comments from old bosses. Oh, and, so,
1: and, and that is, that's what a lot of people think LinkedIn is. It's a CV, yeah. isn't it? And I am now seeking to diversify. I mean, you don't talk like that anymore, Leah, do
2: you? <laughs> I, I never talk like that ever. <laughs> like That's not me at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very embarrassing to look back and go, my God, what was I doing? But we all start somewhere. Exactly.
1: And, and I think that's the beauty of what you do because you are you. And, um, you know, we bang on about authenticity quite a lot on this podcast about, you know, be your your, your true authentic self. But, um, mm. you know, you're authentic with a capital A. Do you think that that is really the key to, to your success?
2: I think it has a lot to do with it. I think if we're being really real, I I hit LinkedIn at a time when people needed to hear real voices because I started getting popularity on there about six months before COVID hit. And I really had gotten into my stride by the time COVID did sort of take hold of the world. And I was very honest about how life was for me during that and, and the fear that I felt and um, how it was affecting my business. And I talked about life as a solo parent and all sorts of things. But I think that and the fact that I was unexpected in the space because people don't have traditionally, they're not tattooed from the neck to the toes. I'm a 38 year old woman with tattoos pretty much everywhere visible and some places that aren't usually visible. I've got piercings, three nose rings, lip piercing, like massive stretched ears uh, with like gauged ears. So I'm not what people expect in the professional world and that made me stand out and then because that was accompanied by good writing like I can't I'm I'm naturally a good writer I've read obsessively since I was able to read which was when I was about four and I never stopped devouring books and it's it's helped me to become a good and confident writer and I think those two things coupled together and my I'm not embarrassed to be me And that's something that I've never, I don't feel the need to pretend to be somebody else so that other people like me. I'm very comfortable with not being liked. It doesn't bother me because (laughs) I stopped, I stopped trying to be liked by everyone when I was about 14 and realized that actually half of the people, half of the people that I want to like me, I don't even like, so (laughs) why do I care? And I think, yeah, those things together, meant that I was comfortable being real and sod the people that don't like me and that helped that helped a huge amount because people felt that they could relate to the different parts of my story whether they were parents whether they secretly hid their tattoos when they're at work whether they loved to travel whether they were running a small business there was all the different aspects of who I am that different people connected with and I talked about you know most of them
1: i think that's really interesting because because you are i know you have a bigger a bigger team now but you're essentially a one person business and if you if you run a small business chances are you are front and center you do the marketing you 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 do the accounts you do the bookkeeping you write everything and if you're not prepared to sort of show up and be real then people aren't necessarily going to connect with you. And you talked about people relating to different parts of your story. And do you think that's why you've got such kind of like such a broad appeal for so many followers?
2: Yeah, I think that definitely helps because, you know, there's not, not everybody that follows me is going to relate to all the different aspects of, of the parts of me that I talk about. And I'm, I'm very careful with what I share. Like I don't say everything, but I say enough that people feel like they know everything Where's that line? For some
1: people, the line is in a really different place. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to talk about my family or I, I wouldn't want to t- talk about where I grew up or experiences I had. Mm. It, you know, you're a mum. Where, where's, your, where's your kind of personal cutoff? Have you got one?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I don't, I mean, for safety purposes, I don't talk about my specific location so even when I bought a house I didn't share a picture of me in front of the house because I was like I I wouldn't ever do that I don't talk about my family beyond my son so you won't see me posting about my sister and I haven't shared photos of my mum or my sister's children because that's not that's not for me to do and because it's a it's a big network of people and you know you don't know who's watching I don't talk about my relationships ever So my dating life, my love life is absolutely out of bounds. So people never know. They know that I'm not married, that's about it. I don't talk about whether I'm single, whether I'm, that's for me. That's only for me and the person that I'm in a relationship with. And that's something that's really important to me. My boundaries have changed. So what I was comfortable with talking about at first, uh, like there are things that I've talked about since. I never would have imagined I would be comfortable talking about mental health all my own experiences with that and actually I've almost felt a sense of duty over time when I've seen other people talk about it to use the platform that I have to to be honest with people and I mean it gives me that like vulnerability hangover that Brene Brown talks about like makes makes me feel like bugs are crawling on my skin but the positive outpouring from people that say thank you so much for opening up about that that's really made me think about stuff and so I wouldn't have imagined that I would be comfortable talking about that. And I wouldn't say probably that I am comfortable, but I know the positive impact talking about those things have, and that's enough for me to push myself. And I don't do it very often because it, it results in a lot of conversations being started with people. And because if I talk about my mental health, it's like open the floodgates for people to send me, all sorts of stories that I, I don't necessarily, so I never talk about my mental health if it's poor, I don't talk about it when it's poor, I will talk about it when I'm in a place where I'm strong enough to talk about it. There are boundaries and I think you know there's parts of my past that I never talk about, um, there's things that happened in my younger years, experiences that I've had and I don't see any merit in talking about those but when I see that if I talk about something, there's going to be a potentially good impact either for my business or for my community, then I'm drawn to talking about it.
1: I think that, sorry to interrupt you, I think that is completely what what you're so fabulous about because everything you post is going to have a good impact. Literally everything you post, whether you're giving tips or whether you're sharing some experience and that I think, I think that's that's your your secret source, whether you, whether it's conscious or not, it's it's always posted with a the audience in mind. And yeah, I I mean I, I admire you for it, Leah. It's 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 brilliant. I'm going to ask you some kind of sneaky top tips for LinkedIn things because people are going to want to know. They're going to be very cross with me if I've had you on this podcast and I haven't mind you for LinkedIn secrets. So. For a
2: quick fire, what's the biggest mistake people make on LinkedIn, do you think? Standing in the shadows and not getting involved. That's probably the worst. Like having their profile picture accidentally set to private and they never actually comment or post anything. They never use their profile. There's nothing on their profile or it's it was written 10 years ago and they've never looked at it. It's like even having a great profile and never really posting anything, you can still get business just from commenting in the right places. So I think the biggest, the biggest problem for people is, is having a profile and not making use of it and not actually getting involved in the conversations. So many people say to me, my clients are all people that lurk, they never engage. And then they'll just pop up one day and say, I've been following you for years. It's like, so why not get involved in the conversations like you wouldn't go to a networking party and stand in the corner and not talk to anyone. So why do you do that on LinkedIn? It's such a strange thing to me that... So I think that's that's the, the biggest mistake I see people making is just not getting involved. How do people turn their profile picture to public? So if they go to their profile and click on the photo and then make sure it's set in the bottom left-hand corner, it will say public. I think it's public that it says... And all, all members, but ideally, like public, and that means that everybody can see you. But I've I've yet to go on a webinar where, and I've said to people, go and check, and they're all like, yeah, no, it's it's fine, it's public. Like, go and check, and like at least half a dozen of them will go, oh my god, I was set to private, <laughs> and I had no idea, like because you can see unreal. your photo yourself, can't you? Just you don't know what other people are seeing. So your connections can see it as well, but your second degree connections, people who are you've got connections in common with, they will just see a gray circle. And there's nothing
1: more engaging than
2: a gray circle. (laughs) No, no one wants to connect with people that don't have a face. So it just means that people won't be reaching out to connect with you or likely to accept your connection requests. So yeah, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So go and check. Because LinkedIn, like, they'll randomly change it sometimes and they'll change the settings. And I think that happened to a lot of people and they didn't realise that the setting had changed. The amount of times people pop up in my comments and I'm like, do you know your profile's photo's not showing? They go, no, I had no idea. Okay, so
1: get involved, sort
2: your photo out. Anything else? Talking at people. I think that's a key one because so often people will just post, like, a bulletin update or here's some information, like they're getting on the stage at a networking event and just talking and then they leave networking is a two way thing like you you need to stay and have conversations you need to meet make people feel welcome to be involved in those conversations so when you see posts that actually include people, ask them a question, ask for advice, ask for opinions, ask for their own personal experiences. That starts conversation with people. And then you've got comments and then you can reply to the comments. You can build relationships with people in those comment sections. You have a little bit of a laugh and a joke with people because it's all a little bit more relaxed in the comments. That's where I've built the majority of my community is the comment sections of my posts because I've opened conversations and invited people to be part of those conversations and I've stayed to have them with them. And I see it all the time, people just post something talking at their audience. Like, here's this really interesting thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm so excited to announce, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's no, this is not a two-way thing. This is just you talking at me and then wandering off. And they go, oh, I didn't get any engagement. like, yeah, are you really surprised? Here's why. And they go, oh, you're right. People forget when they're on LinkedIn to act like people and to replicate what they would do in a real-life networking environment in order to build relationships. If you treat LinkedIn like it's a real-life networking event and engage with people and interact with people like you would if they were standing in front of you, personable, friendly, a bit fun, silly sometimes, like you will build relationships 10 times faster. That's
1: brilliant advice. Treat it like it's a like a, a real-life thing. Love it.
2: So I want to
1: ask you about... Hope for. You are ambassador for Hope for, which is a charity working to end human trafficking in Europe's poorest country, Moldova, and they do lots of other things as well. How did you get involved with that and their work?
2: Well, Chris will tell me if I don't correct you. I'm actually on the board of directors now. Sorry, on the board of directors
1: <laughs> of Hope for. Yes. My apologies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll tell me off if I don't correct you. So, when the war broke out in the Ukraine, I'd seen a snippet on the news of a mother and son on the borders in a refugee center. And it just, like the kid was about the same age as my son at the time. And I was just, I, I was devastated seeing what was going on. I, I try not to watch the news because I find it's all so overwhelmingly bleak all the time that I, it, it disables me from just getting on with my own day and, and being able to function, I'm like crushing anxiety all the time. And I woke up on the Saturday morning the next day and was like, I want to do something to help. And I've been tossing and turning and having weird dreams all night about if this happens to me and my little boy. And I mess, I was WhatsApping one of my friends. I was like, I'm going to do something to help. I'm going to do a webinar. And I initiated a LinkedIn webinar. It's usually quite expensive to work with me. So I I was like, right, well, I'll just charge £30 and I'll do a two-hour webinar and all the proceeds will go to help, you know, victims that were coming across the borders and, and help the Ukrainian people. Anyway, I found out from my friend, Chris Wright. He said, you need to speak to Chris Lomas. Chris Lomas is on the ground helping people coming over the border. And I went straight to his profile and saw all of the footage that he was posting, all of the videos. And I was like, I can see the impact they're having. I can see the work that they're doing. I love this. And I know people will get behind this. So I just messaged him and I was like, I'm gonna do a webinar, I'm raising money. I'm gonna send it to you, is that okay? And I was like, I'm hoping to make like a couple of grand. And he was like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Thank you so much. And it was, the relationship was born. And then I set up the event and started selling tickets literally immediately. I just posted it on LinkedIn. I was like, gonna do something to help. I'm doing this webinar. If you want tickets, you can buy them here, 30 pounds. And I roped in five other well-known LinkedIn trainers across the world to help me. The tickets started selling like outrageously fast.
1: This is how I first came across you, Leah, through this event. Is
2: it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, so like the money was flooding in like really fast. And within two hours, I because I already had the money in my account, so it was being held in my Stripe account because it was coming through like Calendly and everything. But I was like, just fine. I've got the money in my business account. They can't wait for this money. And I just sent it straight across. So within like two hours of me messaging Chris saying, I'm going to send you money, I'd sent him £2,000. And then it was like £1,000 an hour. And I think within the first week, we raised £40,000. Um, we sold over 950 tickets, and then people were making donations as well. And that when we then did a bit of a PR campaign with what we'd done to get more awareness for Hope for, and I think that was where Bid Food got involved, who donate like masses of food for the refugees every month. That's a British food company, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, huge. They provide food for like uh, amusement parks and and all sorts of places. And it's, so it's just got gone on and on since then. And and then in January, I went out to visit them, to work with them. And I've done parties to raise money for them. I got thirty marketers involved, and we did thirty. Um, they wrote thirty articles on different areas of marketing, which we sold. We raised fifteen thousand pounds just before I, while I was in Moldova the first time. And now I've convinced 20 crazy people to climb Kilimanjaro with me to raise more money for them, <laughs> which is probably amazing. my maddest idea. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's <laughs> worth it though. How, how's the training going for that? <laughs> are, you, are you in training? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> we did a training walk in Wales, which was supposed to replicate summit day. And it wasn't up Snowden. We did one adjacent Snowden. It was incredibly steep. And I was absolutely fine. I made it to the top. It's like four hour walk. And then an hour and a half down. And I didn't break a sweat. I was fine. I was like, this is... I can do this I think it's more mental than physical because you don't walk very fast up Killy you go slowly and you walk for like 30 minutes and then rest for 15 minutes and then walk for an... so I'm like it's fine it's gonna hurt I think the camping's gonna be the hardest thing for me I'm not I'm not a camping kind of girl so <laughs> <laughs> did you just call it killer by the way <laughs> uh, sorry Killy, <laughs> Killy. <laughs> um, I should say, about right.
1: yeah exactly um I should say I interviewed Chris Lomas in season one of the podcast. So if you want to hear Chris's interview about all the other kinds of things that they're doing and all the work, and, and he bigs up Leah in that interview as well. It's all very, um very brilliant. That's episode four of season one of the podcast. So do check that out. Um And gosh, Leah, wish you luck. And if people want to sponsor you doing your mountain climb, I'll put all the details in the show notes for this episode, but you'll probably be climbing Everest by the time the podcast goes out.
2: No, this is the only mountain I will ever climb. I won't be doing it again. It was just a very mad ADHD moment of, that looks fun, I'll do that. And then three hours later going, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) instant instant regret
1: it's gonna be fine it's gonna be brilliant what is your story looking like for the next five years you've come such a long way in four I mean your life is like unrecognizable now I'm guessing from what it was before so what
2: next I do wanna grow my community. That's my biggest thing at the moment. I The community, the HALT that I run, we've got over 320 members in it and they are the most kind, supportive, giving people, all helping each other, all promoting one another's services to their friends, their community, recruiting one another for projects as well as all, you know, we've got all the masterclasses, the LinkedIn clinics, the content prompts, the discounts, all of that, that's whatever. It's the community, it's the support from each other. That's like the amazing thing. So I've I've got a goal to grow that to 500 members within the next six months. And then I want to push to get it to a thousand members and start splitting it down into like some slightly smaller communities within it as well to encourage like local meetups. But I want to, I really want to grow that. I think bringing in community managers and and people that are good vibes, supportive and kind and helpful. Like that's so magical when you're a small business owner, especially when you first start out, you don't have the money to hire all the different services that you need. So having people on hand to give masterclasses or offer help and advice, that's worth so much money to you because I I don't have the money to afford to pay a video editor or a copywriter, or I didn't at the start. So having people that can, show you how in the masterclasses or give you guidance to say actually that could be done better and get that feedback it's so valuable so yeah I want I want to grow that because it's so affordable I'm like we can scale this big and create micro communities within it and create something really magical or more magical it's already magical
1: Leah Turner (laughs) thank you so much for being my guest thank you for having me
2: Well,
0: from LinkedIn guru to community founder to charity champion and mountaineer, what an inspiring lady. So what did we learn today? Here are my key takeaways. One, give people a chance to get to know your story, even a little bit of it. Get involved on social media. Leah said the biggest mistake people make on LinkedIn is having a profile and not filling it in or reading other people's content but not commenting on it. A comment can start a conversation. It's an easy way to share little parts of your story and find like-minded people to chat to. 2. Everybody has to start somewhere. Remember Leah's embarrassment at her first ever LinkedIn post and how boring it was? Well, she's certainly not boring anymore and not only has she improved what she does, she's owning the journey. She's got that framed printout of her first cringy post to remind her how far she's come. If you're trying something new, it won't be perfect the first time. But be brave, make a start, and trust that you will improve. 3. If you're posting, don't go on about the same thing day after day. Remember Leah said she's talked about all kinds of things on LinkedIn, Being a single mum, running her business, what scared her during COVID, even when she's comfortable, more personal things like mental health awareness. Leah talked about having boundaries too. It's up to you how much of your story you share. Four, be yourself and be honest. Who cares if you're a square and everyone else is a circle? Standing out will get you noticed. And on social media, that is helpful. Make sure your photo is a true reflection of what you look like, and that everyone can see it, and make sure what you say makes your beliefs and values clear. 5. Now you've got your audience's attention, prove you're worthy of keeping it. Showcase your talent in how you present yourself. Leah is an excellent writer, and that shines through in her content. Everyone's time is precious, so make sure the stories you're telling and the content you're producing is high quality and adds value to their day. Such great advice from Leah Turner, and this series just keeps on giving. Coming up in our next episode, Literary Lessons, what playwrights and poets can teach us about storytelling for business.
2: So what I do is always take the techniques and the skills and the insights and the lessons from the arts. The professionals are the storytellers and that's why I always and only go to them for my lessons and bring them back into the business world.
0: That's James McCabe, The Story Doctor. It's a fascinating lesson you won't want to miss. So why not grab a copper, find a fresh page in your notebook and dive right in now. It's ready when you are. Once again, a big thanks to today's guest, Leah Turner. Do check her out on LinkedIn, Instagram, and pretty much everywhere else too. And if you take a look at the show notes, you'll find contact info for Leah and her membership community, The Halt, as well as the charity she talked about, Hope for. Right, I'm off to tweet my LinkedIn profile. Thanks for listening. I'm Katie Flammon, and this is Storytelling for Business. Till next time, goodbye.